I have the pleasure of introducing to you uh, a, a guy who's really becoming a good friend of mine, real like-minded. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, know of him and at some level, uh, Rob Bell. He is, uh, well, he writes books like, that are titled things like, God Wants to Save Christians. I love this guy. <laughs> he knows how to get in trouble with the right people. You know, he, He's a prophetic voice. Uh, he's, uh, I think, one of the, the, the most masterful artistic communicators I've ever heard. Uh, he's got insight into the Word, and uh, he, some of you know his NUMA videos. He's just got a lot of things going. He's uh, the teaching pastor at Mars Hills Church in Grand Rapids. Um, no, Grand, Grand Rapids or Grand Forest? Someplace in Michigan. As this huge church. It's, it's a cool church. I've been there to speak a couple times. He was just in town uh, doing this tour on Friday night. Some of you probably were there. Uh, and he uh, got in touch with me, said, want to hang out a little bit? And I said, fine, why don't you come over to my church and preach? And uh, he said, hey, that sounds like a blast. And so uh, they drove all the way from Winnipeg. He was in Winnipeg last night, drove all night, and got here this morning. They have a tour bus out there. And uh, so I'm just really honored, Rob, that you would come and share the word with us. So please give a warm Woodland Hills welcome to Rob Bell. <laughs> Hi, my name's Rob, and I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the epicenter of progressive culture, <laughs> which you can't say without laughing. And uh, it's just great to be with you, and I have had kind of in my head this image of your church with Greg coming to teach at our church, and so finally I'm here, and I get to see you all, and I've discovered that I have all sorts of brothers from other mothers and sisters from different misters. And... Uh, <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. I knew if I came to your church, I would learn all sorts of things, and I discovered that you have a happy room. So what's this room? So I'm just telling you right now, I'm declaring, as long as I'm in the house, this is the happy room. Okay, there we go. Get it straight. And then the happier room apparently is maybe just the happier, the happier, happier room or something. It's also, I had this thought this morning, um, Hey, I think it's my birthday today. How great is that? Which I'm realizing as you get older, there is an inverse relationship between how much you think about the fact that it's actually your birthday and how old you are. Is that correct? That's depressing to say the least. So I'm going to think about it all day. Um, I have a, a wife named Kristen who I absolutely adore. We have two boys who are 11 and 9, and then several months ago, at the age of 39, my wife gave birth to a little girl. So uh, I'm in that. We now have a daughter. We took a nine-year break from having kids, 11, 9, and then a baby. So we were totally rusty, um, and we're just kind of getting back in the game. So when I'm done here, uh, I'm going to go home and see my girl. Yes. Now, uh, there's all sorts of ground I'd like to cover with you this morning. And generally, um, at a church, you know, there are things like nursery and parking issues and all that. So when they said, take the whole afternoon, I was kind of taken aback, but I figured, great. <laughs> Those of you who want to know whether that's a joke or not, <laughs> tough. Uh, so I want to invite you to turn to the book, of, if you have a Bible, the book of Judges, chapter 15. That is the text that we will start in. This morning, um, I would like to talk about the art 
of forgiving, forgiving people when they hurt you. Now, I assume you don't have these kinds of issues, but in Grand Rapids, we have this thing called relational conflict. Um, in Grand Rapids, we have uh, language that people use with each other that, that causes hurt and pain. In Grand Rapids, we th have things like abuse and people who lose their jobs and carry a certain bitter grudge against the person who caused that. Now, I assume you don't have these sorts of things where you are, but maybe you have a friend who. Um, and I'd like to talk today about forgiving. So let me say a word of prayer and then we'll get into it. God, we uh, open ourselves up to you now. Please give us sharp minds to sort through some of the intricacies of this issue. We, uh, we are going to explore the Christ pattern of forgiving, this death and resurrection rhythm and what it costs us and what it always leads to. So we ask for great freedom in this place to sift and sort through these issues, to wrestle with the implications, and then we ask for profound liberation and freedom. And in the name of the resurrected Christ, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now when I say forgiveness, uh, a couple points of clarification. Number one, forgiveness is not condoning. Sometimes when you say, well, you sh well, we need to forgive, people are like, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to send so-and-so the message if I forgive them that what they did isn't a big deal. To forgive is a separate issue from to condone, to act as though it wasn't a big deal. It may have been a really, really big deal. And to forgive the person is not, and we can't confuse it, saying that somehow what they did wasn't hurtful, wrong, unjust, whatever it was. Separate issues. Are you tracking with me? Yes. Different issues. Now, second, forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. Sometimes there's a sort of like, hey, you're just supposed to forgive and forget. Um, some people are dangerous toxic, divisive, abusive, as it says in Proverbs, uh, like a dog returns to its vomit over and over. By the way, if someone asks you your, li your, your life verse, give them Proverbs 22, and they'll be like, the dog returns to its vomit? What, what is that? In the, the scriptures speak of some people being dangerous, abusive, divisive, and toxic. And sometimes to forgive is to not forget and to set up appropriate boundaries so they aren't allowed to harm you like that again. Are you with me? You can forgive someone and still get a restraining order. Are we tracking? If he, uh, if he is abusive, if he is hitting you, get out. It is a different issue to forget. Now, obviously, in, in the most whole and healthy sorts of relationships, maybe somebody said something and later you said to them, you know, when you said that, that, that that's, this is how I took it. This is how I perceived that. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even intend that. I'm so sorry. I, I, I realized I shouldn't have spoken. That was, and you just, you move on. Hey, we will speak no more of it. I've had relationships with friends where we just had a sort of, remember when that thing went down, we need to talk about that. And there was a sort of, okay, great. Well, we don't even bring that up again. That's over. And so in ideal situations, to forgive is to forget, but in other situations, 
to forgive may be to remember and to set up with wise kind of um, counsel and discernment to set up strong boundaries so that it doesn't happen again or so that you don't keep putting yourself back in that position. Forgiving, forgetting, two separate issues. Next, to forgive is different than reconciling. To reconcile takes two parties and all sorts of conditions agreed upon, expectations, assumptions. You may forgive that person. It's a very different issue for the relationship to return to how it was. Because of what happened, it may be impossible for the relationship to ever return to how it was. And some people are like, you're just supposed to forgive me and we're supposed to pretend like this never happened and we're supposed to just come back together. Whoa, 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 whoa. Forgiveness and reconciliation, two separate issues. And then one more. Forgiveness is a different issue than justice and consequences. And sometimes there's a sort of, well, I guess I'm supposed to forgive them and then I'm supposed to protect them from reaping the consequences of what they did. Absolutely not. In fact, the consequences may be what it takes for them to change their ways. So to forgive is different than allow, maybe there are institutional consequences, maybe there are legal consequences, maybe um, there are fines to be paid depending on how they broke the law, whatever it is, separate issues, forgiveness and issues of justice and consequences. Are you with me? And then a couple more dimensions. Next, forgiveness is always personal. Somebody hurt, wounded, slighted, wronged you. Now this is why this is key. Have you ever met somebody who's angry with the church? And there's this kind of vague, giant church monster in the closet. It is a sort of faceless beast and they just have issues with the church. How many of you heard this uh, before? Now here's why this is so lethal. You cannot forgive a faceless entity. Maybe you know somebody who was uh, fired from their job and they harbor profound resentment towards that organization, that institution, that conglomeration of, of stuff. That's paralyzing because the person has all sorts of anger and a profound sense of being wronged, but it's paralyzing because forgiveness is personal. No, you're not angry with it. It's impossible to be angry with the church. You're angry with somebody in that church who did something to you. And so the only way we'll ever be free is if we can name that person, that action, and that pain in order to then set them free. It isn't just that business or that corporation or that industry. Somebody within that organization made a decision that adversely affected your employment. And to be free from that bitterness is to name those people. Forgiveness is personal. When it does not become personal, it becomes very hard to do and it can become a sort of uh, weight on the shoulders that a person can't get rid of. And then secondly, forgiveness is a process. 
There are beautiful moments when we come to realization, oh my word, I need to set somebody free. And we forgive them and boom, five minutes, we're out of there. But imagine somebody who has been abused, maybe abused as a child, and, and we're 27 years out from that initial wound. Well, to begin to forgive the abuser, there may be 27 years of patterns and habits, and so it's going to take a while. Or maybe you can just say it this way, like maybe today, if at some point somebody comes to mind and you realize, whoa, I need to forgive them. Uh, maybe if by the end of today, you simply are not plotting and planning significant, complicated ways to mutilate and torture them. Hey, progress, okay? Um, <laughs> If tomorrow you spend less time fantasizing about their demise, well, you know, we'll take it where we can get it. <laughs> Just a little bit, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. Forgiveness is personal. And sometimes forgiveness is simply a long process. A woman recently, um, when I talked through some of this in our church, said um, I was raped. And she said, I realized that I can't even begin yet to conceptualize what it would be like to forgive the man who raped me, she said. But I realize I have to start by forgiving myself. Just somewhere in the course of this, something got into my head and heart that told me I deserve this. And so she said, I, 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 I have realized I am not even anywhere near that man. I um, have to start with my own forgiveness of myself. This is actually very perceptive on her part. There are so many layers of pain that she realizes it's a process and I have to start here. Now, let's begin in Judges chapter 15. I want to explore several dimensions of forgiveness and hopefully in working through some of these, there, there will be something that you connect with, an image, a picture, a metaphor, a story, a line of dialogue that uh, as I sort of walk through several key issues of forgiveness. My hope is that somewhere in these stories you will find something you connect with. Judges chapter 15, later on at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Gentlemen, take notice. I brought a goat. I think you know what that means, baby. I don't actually have any idea what that means. It's kind of creepy and it smells. <laughs> he said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. <clears throat> I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. So instantly, we're in a sort of Canaanite Jerry Springer territory here. <laughs> we're about to have like throwing chairs and... Um, that ain't your baby mama or something along those lines. Kind of this, oh my word, it's all going to fall apart right now. Isn't it? So there's this sort of awkward, what have we just stepped into? Verse 3. Also, of course, with Samson, like chapter 15, the heading in this Bible says Samson's vengeance on the Philistines. Anything regarding Samson, you could just pretty much call it adventures in testosterone. Um, <laughs> you just are pretty sure this guy drove a Camaro. Verse 3, Samson said to them... <laughs> Mullet, six-pack. Um, this time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. This time, I have a right. Take note. This time, I have a... And what's your text say? A right. Okay, they did that? Well, 
then that means that all sorts of things are now permissible. They did what? Well, if they did that, then all the rules have changed. So, uh, he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs and fastened a torch to every pair of tails and lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines, like you do. <laughs> Any one of us, when we get, you get me angry enough, I'll go get, I'll throw down with the foxes, don't push me. I got 300 in the truck. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Now remember, of course, in Philistine culture, you had a god and the gods created the rain and the sun and the wind and created the seeds which grew from the earth which provided the grain. So when he does this, this is a, a religious slam and I'm taking out your olive, olives, your, your vineyards and your grain and that's connected with the way that your gods provide for you. And then that has obviously a major economic ramification. So this is, this is an act of violence, an act of war, a religious religious statement, an economic dent in their, their well-being. Verse 6, when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. That's tough for a brother. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, well, since you've acted like this. Okay, just, just a side note. After the whole hundreds of foxes things? Is this a guy right now who should be saying, well, since you've acted like this, does he have any ground to stand on? No, no, this is the last dude. He should be a little more aware than that. Well, since you guys, you guys have done something crazy. <laughs> Samson said to them, well, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. How, how do you know, by the way, when you get enough revenge? Is there a moment in getting revenge where it's like, <clears throat> Oh, suddenly I have the peace of God. <laughs> you know, up until then, I was just a, a cauldron of emotions and envy and revenge, but all of a sudden now, I just feel a light, airy sort of well-being deep in my soul. Hmm. I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the Rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they asked, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, by the way, verse 11, then 3,000 men. This started with a dude, a goat, and a father-in-law. And now we're at 3,000 men from Judah. Do you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Okay, wait, wait. My hands are clean. I'm just responding in kind. They said to them, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. Oh, that's not so bad. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came on him in power and the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, which apparently was just laying around. I don't know about you, but I'm always like, who put that there? 
He grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. It reads differently in the King James. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Yeah, so a couple observations. This story starts with a dude, a goat, and a father-in-law. It ends with a dude killing a thousand people with a donkey jawbone. <laughs> By the way, try getting this through customs at 2 a.m. <laughs> I swear to you, actual conversation in a foggy, groggy sort of custom sometime around 2 a.m. this morning. Uh, they took us all off of our bus and we had to answer a whole series of questions and then they went on and uh, Officer Stutz, sir, uh, they searched our uh, bus, I don't know, looking for what. Finally, we're all sitting there waiting. One of them comes back in. Uh, there's a large jawbone on your bus. <laughs> Where did you get it? And me, in a moment of insanity, said, I don't know, like, I think donkeyjawbone.com? <laughs> and he says, and then Matthew, who's, who's up working the, the uh, slides thing up there, he, Matthew, as if to clarify, says, oh no, it's a musical instrument. I got it on a musical instrument website. So now you can see the guy just going, like, which of these two nutcases do I trust now? <laughs> he then says, I swear to you, you sure, you sure you just didn't pick it up by the side of the road somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are large dead donkeys an issue in this part of the world? <laughs> I guess I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> It's just, you cannot beat that. Did you pick that up some? Yeah, mm -hmm. Has it been to a taxidermist? I think it was an actual question. Has it been to a proper taxidermist? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, it starts with the goat, dude, father-in-law, and it ends with the slaughter of a thousand people with a donkey jawbone. A couple observations about revenge. Number one, revenge always escalates. A, a revenge does not function on a plateau. Like they do this, and then they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, that's okay, and I'll do that. And then it's never, revenge always escalates. It starts with the rolling of the eyes in a really long meeting that wasn't well run. <laughs> Are you with me now? But it does not respond, it does not end with more rolling of the eyes. It always escalates. Uh, think about examples from literature, like think about Romeo and Juliet. Uh, think about Romeo and Juliet. Now nah, think about Romeo and Juliet. No, nah, think about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet is the story of a feud between the Montagues and the. Yeah, yeah. How did this feud start? There is one line tucked there in Shakespeare's prose in which we are told that at some point way in the past, there was an exchange of an airy word was spoken. An airy word. And now multiple civil wars later, these two cannot be together. How does it start? An exchange? Basically, we would say an offhanded comment? Revenge 
always escalates. Revenge also always inflames. It creates within a person an inflated ego that says, well, this time I have the right. They are, I am just doing to them what they did to me. And so it goes back and forth, back and forth. Revenge is essentially relational pong. How many of you remember Pong? When this came out, this was like a giant breakthrough. And now we're like, I thought cavemen played Pong. And so this person does this, Pong. And then this person does this, Pong. And then this person does this, Pong. And it just goes back and forth, back. Perhaps you've had this experience. You went to work at a new job and you, and you came into the cubicle farm and after about the first day, you were like, what is the deal between sales and accounting? How is the financial officer, what is the thing between the financial officer and the assistant to the regional manager? And how come these people have such an issue with the TPS reports? <laughs> and there's all of this sort of, sort of like this funky stuff in the air. And you find out, well, actually, a long time ago, there was a meeting, and this person, their job was realigned, and some things they said in the course of that. And you trace it back, and you begin asking some questions, and sometimes you'll just hear, like, uh, actually, you don't want to go there. <laughs> and you find out it's some absolutely absurd, trivial thing that happened nine clicks back, and now you've been there for five hours on your first day on the job, and you're like, what is happening here? Or, uh, you know, family reunions are like Pong-O-Rama. Um, <laughs> and there is just like, whoa, the crazy Uncle Frankie did what? And this thing is just kind of, and there's this thing there, and perhaps you, um, you married into a situation where you had to be, you needed a guide, a map, <laughs> a chart, a flow diagram to let you see all of the various things. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? And what is it? Bong, bong, bong. Revenge. It always escalates and it always inflates. It creates a sense of uh, injustice. I've been it creates a sense of, well, I'm only doing to them what they did to me. Now, there, there are several more dimensions to revenge. There is a sort of active revenge. It's quite easy to spot. This person wronged me, so watch me now. They said what about me? Well, I'm going to need to tell you a, a little bit of background about some stuff they've been involved with in order for you just to kind of understand some of the issues they struggle with so that you can pray more effectively. Um. <laughs> And what do ever, so, what is, it's just flat out, really? They, they called into question my integrity? Well, you need to know this about them. It's active. I will get, I will show them not to mess with me. You, you did what? You went behind my back to my reporting employer? Well, Okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make it so miserable for you to interact with our particular area of the business that you, you will pay 
for that. I will show you what happens when you go behind my back. Now, there is a sort of overt, explicit, active sort of revenge. But, but I would submit to you that there is an equally insidious form, and that is a sort of passive revenge that essentially says, I won't go after them, but I will withhold, I will cold shoulder, and if something negative does come their way, I will secretly celebrate and think they had it coming. I will say, karma, yes. <laughs> so it won't be an explicit sort of, I'm going after them. I'll just wait. Perhaps this is why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we are unable to ask God to bless somebody, when we are unable to pray for those who persecute us, then we are essentially waiting for them to be punished. We have simply said, I don't think I will be the active agent through which they receive their due course of punishment, I, but I will just kind of wait, and when someone else does it, I will say, well, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Felt pretty good. And what is it? It's just revenge in its more insidious, passive form. Forgiveness begins when you drop the jawbone. When you find yourself in a situation where everything within you wants to say, they did what? Well, I'm gonna bring it. When you find yourself in a situation where there's just endless pong and you realize forgiveness will only begin when somebody decides to drop the job, Drop the jawbone and back away from the jawbone. That's where forgiveness will start. Are you in one of those sort of situations? It's a neighborhood and somebody has moved in and they have said, what is the deal with that family and that family? And you began to ask questions and it was like, oh, we just don't really talk about that. How come we're having like a barbecue but we always leave them out? Forgiveness begins when somebody is willing to say, I don't know what all is going on here, but I want to end whatever that is. I don't even need to rehash it. I just want you to know my interest is I have been playing a little pong here. Probably shouldn't use pong because I'll be like, huh? But nevertheless, um, there has been this sort of back and forth thing here, and I, I want to do my part to end it. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. When you get into issues of revenge... You always get into issues of justice and accountability. Now in 1 Peter 2, Peter has this extremely insightful way of speaking of Jesus on the cross. And he says, verse 23, 1 Peter 2, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When Jesus suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, to the him who judges justly. Now, judges justly is a reference to God's justice. It says Jesus had insults hurled at him. He suffered, and yet he did not retaliate, and he did not issue threats. So he was clearly wronged, and yet he lived with such an abiding, abiding all-encompassing awareness of God's justice 
that he was able to surrender the right to revenge with the full confidence that God can take care of the justice issues here far better than he ever could. Now, built into revenge, and the reason why revenge always inflates, it, it always it has an inflammatory nature to it, is revenge is essentially saying, this person did wrong to me or to somebody close to me, and I have determined the proper method of punishment and time frame. But for some reason, the universe is not going according to my planning. And so it is up to me to execute the judgment in my time according to the methods I have chosen. Revenge is a failure at a sort of deep cosmos, universe sort of level, it is a failure to entrust yourself to God's justice. Are you with me? This thing was supposed to happen in this time period, and it was supposed to happen this way so they would learn not to mess with me, and it didn't happen. So I will have to take matters in my own hands. Revenge is essentially saying to God, you are in my seat. This is why revenge so inflates a person's ego. This is why in the Samson story, well, this time I have a right. I deserve. Why? Because what we are doing is we are essentially saying, God, I don't like the way you do your job. I don't like your timetable. I don't like your methods. And I'll just take this matter into my own hands. This is why revenge always leads to anxiety. It always leads to a sort of uptight, bound up, a hardened sort of heart because it is essentially saying, I have no larger sense of trust. I guess it's up to me. So I'll just have to do it. What Peter says here, so brilliantly, he says, you have to understand that Jesus lived with such a profound sense of trust in God's justice. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but leave room for God's, and the word there is wrath, but wrath for a first century Jewish apostle like Paul was always deeply connected with God's sense of justice, God's ordering of the world. That do not repay anyone evil for evil, but leave room for God's proper ordering of the world in God's time. What's fascinating is that when it comes to others, we are very good about, well, they should pay, and they should pay in this time frame in this way, but then when it is our own mistakes, we're like, well, seriously, take your time. You got other situations, but mine, mine can wait. I'm serious, I'm real patient. You can you just, just take your time, maybe a little leniency. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? We're like, give it to them, but me, seriously. Can you say no to this face? You know, that's kind of, and, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do we entrust ourselves? or not. So forgiveness often begins with surrendering the right to revenge. But, but if you explore and reflect and meditate long enough on just where that impulse comes from, it sort of bleeds into issues of entrusting yourself to God's justice and entrusting this situation. God, I, I am going to take steps to surrender the right to revenge here, but I'm realizing that that's calling me to surrender this situation and this person who I have essentially tried to own. I have felt myself responsible for their correction and punishment, 
and at some level I am releasing them to you with the trust that you can take care of this much better than I can. This is why at the heart of forgiveness are always issues of freedom and liberation. Forgiveness is setting somebody free and then finding out that it's you. Now, turn with me, please, over to the book of Luke, chapter 23. One uh, more passage. In Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross, and we have several uh, gospels giving us different fragments of things that Jesus says on the cross. And in Luke 23, in verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing on the cross. One of the last things we have recorded that Jesus says is he's thinking of forgiveness. This is at the core of his consciousness and awareness is, Father, forgive them. Now, when we are wronged, in some ways it's if when we are wronged, we are handed uh, the wrong. We are handed the wound. If you were abused as a child, you were handed at a young age a profound injustice, an evil, a wrong, a destructive act was done to you. Now, when we are handed this, we have options about what we're going to do with it. Sometimes what we do is we just hand it back. That's called revenge. I got handed this thing, I'm not gonna hold this, and we just hand it back. That's the easiest instinctual thing to do is, oh, you said this about me? Well, well, your mother or whatever, <laughs> right? It's just sometimes uh, marriage is, or maybe you don't know about this. Anyway, um, it's just, this comes back. This can happen in short sort of tense discussions and arguments. This can happen over years of handing it back, handing it back, handing it back. Sometimes we're wronged and we're given options. And one of them is called revenge. It's just to hand it back. Passive revenge would be to kind of like just carry it over on the side, just waiting, just waiting for them to fall, waiting for them to suffer, waiting for them to catch up with them, and then celebrating. That's just sort of passive. It's not front and center right back, but it's just right here. Sometimes it is difficult to hand it right back. In an employment situation, if it's handed right back, well, this person may decide to fire you. Uh, this person who handed you the wound, they may be dead. And so how do we extract revenge in those situations? Whether it's an authority issue, I can't just say what I really think to them because that will affect my reputation, my employment, my paycheck, etc. Or maybe they're dead. Maybe the abuse happened years ago, and so it's a sort of, I don't know how to get back at them. And so what happens is it's just being carried around. And what generally happens when you're carried around long enough is certain events will provoke, and then what happens is it just gets handed to those closest by. Do you know anybody who grew up in a home where dad was always angry? Dad was never able to articulate why. Dad would just fly off the handle at the most random times. Well, perhaps dad was wounded in some very formative way. And so dad didn't know what to do with this. And so what happens is it got handed to those closest by. Or perhaps you know somebody who gets irrationally angry in traffic. 
they can find in a two-minute construction delay the deepest injustices of the universe. And you're like, where did this come from? But all you know at an intuitive level is this person was angry long before they got in the car. <laughs> Are you with me? Oftentimes, this is, there is some issue of forgiveness, and there wasn't just a direct sort of, oh, I got that off my chest. And so what? It's just around. It's just waiting. It's just looking for situations to pass it off. Often the recipients of this are children, husbands, wives, uh, employees, students, just waiting to pass it off. There is another option, and that is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, it is to be handed something and to say, the, the pain is going to stop right here with me. It is to not pass it back or just kind of, but, but to in some profound way absorb it in such a way that it dies and is no longer able to stay in circulation. The real issue is are we going to take this wound, this pain, this hurt, this, this anger, and just keep it in circulation, or are we going to have it stop with us? Tim Keller, in his uh, recent book, The Reason for God, says this, there is another option, however, you can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. Let me read that again. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection. You can't say resurrection, you have to say resurrection. <laughs> it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. You are not giving it any fuel, and so the resentment burns lower and lower. Now let's take this again. It is a death that leads to resurrection. The Christ pattern of forgiveness is to in some way allow the pain to stop here, to absorb it, to experience a sort of death agony of, oh, this hurts, and yet otherwise any other route would be to keep this in circulation. And so it feels like a death. But if it's a Jesus sort of death, it leads to a resurrection. If you choose to forgive somebody, to not keep it in circulation, to end and unplug the pong game. You will experience a sort of agonizing death, but you will come out the other side a different person, guaranteed. I guarantee you the people who have most affected you, inspired you, mentored you, the people who you're like, okay, I want to be like them. I guarantee those are people who at key moments when they were wronged and wounded and hurt, entered into this Christ pattern and felt it and experienced that sort of death. But when you do that, you will always come out the other side a different 
person. It is the Christ pattern of forgiveness. Is there somebody who has wronged you, hurt you, abused you, neglected you, fired you? And maybe today you need to take their name and write it on a piece of paper and place it at the foot of the cross as a way of saying, I'm going to go through this death so I can experience a resurrection. Is there anybody that you need to forgive? Is there any situation where there is just an odd sort of thing in the air and somebody has to come in and say, okay, it's time to drop the jawbone and feel free to use other language. You know what, there's just, every, there's just, everybody's got the job on it. You know what, I need to put it down. And I need to say something along the lines of, listen, I realize there's something awkward and funky going on here, and I just want to say that what, however I've contributed to it, I don't, I don't want to keep this thing going, whatever it is. Parker Palmer says this in his book on paradox. The cross says, the pain stops here. The way of the cross is a way of absorbing pain, not passing it on. A way that transforms pain from destructive impulse into creative power. When Jesus accepted the cross, his death opened up a channel for the redeeming power of love. The cross. It's God's way of saying, the pain stops here. Maybe you are a parent, and what the Spirit is doing is provoking you with the question, we, has this pain been stopped, or are we in some way passing it on? Are, are, are you caught up in a sort of very subtle revenge thing where you're waiting to see them pay for what they did. And that is not loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And so it is actually a, a, a passive form of revenge and it makes us miserable. And, and are you in a situation perhaps where, where it's time to drop the jawbone because this thing has gone on long enough? I recently ran into somebody who um, had wounded me in several significant ways over the years. And I was able, in interacting with this person, to ask them about their family, to ask them how their life is going. To, I was in some way free that I had never been before. And it took some serious death to get there, but it was like resurrection. When I hugged them, they were a little bit like, like, what is your Captain Clingy here? What is your deal? <laughs> and actually, it was because in some profound way, um, I'd been set free, sort of death, but it leads to a resurrection. Let's pray, shall we, God? Uh, please give us a sort of fearless courage to think through, to examine, to search the, the depths of our being for those who in ways small all the way to massive, we may not have forgiven as you call us to. God, I, I specifically think of brothers and sisters here today who have gone through horrible injustice and abuse, neglect, abandonment, wrong, and 
it seems almost impossible to be free from that. And so today we uh, ask for one simple step on that road. We ask you to unleash within us a channel of your redeeming love that could take a horrible, backwards, violent uh, hate, wrong, anger, desire for revenge and turn it into something else. We think of specific people who perhaps we need to write their name on a piece of paper and put it at the cross as a way of publicly, ritually, symbolically announcing the pain stops here. We bring all of these things to you in the name of the resurrected Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Feel free to come up as you feel uh, led.